0: Yeah, we're here, and that's what we're doing right now is Other, the podcast.
1: Yep, every every time you hear us, that's exactly what we're doing here. Is you found the, the right place. If
0: you were looking for Other, the podcast, you found us.
1: <laughs> Good job, everybody. Good job. I'm so proud of you. Hopefully, you heated young Caleb's um, advice from our last episode and followed and subscribed and shared.
0: Yeah, I definitely heard that word as heated, like you were heating something Heed. in the... Yeah, I I got it now, but I was I like, where's this I
1: said heated. I know how to pronounce my, my T's.
0: <laughs> my brain feels really <laughs> spicy today. It feels like it's ain't going like a thousand miles an hour.
1: Mm, that's an interesting feeling. Yeah,
0: like I didn't do any cocaine today, but Not it kind of feels like it.
1: Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> I don't
0: know if it's just like I got a lot of sleep or maybe it's the coffee. Or Did you get a lot of sleep? I I got six hours. Okay. So maybe not. Maybe that's why because I didn't get enough.
1: Mm. Wow. Lack of sleep plus caffeine yeah. equals cocaine induced <laughs> or... hysteria. <Yeah. laughs> huh. Fascinating. Yeah,
0: it's so interesting what's happening here in this room right now.
1: Yeah, it is. Um what else has been going on since I've seen you last?
0: I saw Rod and Debbie today. Oh, you
1: did? I did. Our friends from Crush Recovery yes. Center. They
0: were so sweet. I had a little meeting with them because I think I'm going to be doing some of that um, yoga situation at yeah. their playas. And I'm very Here. excited about it. What? I'll take that. Oh. I can hear it. Oh, I'm fidgeting. <laughs> Caleb's a fidgeter, so yeah. I took his little toy away. It's like <laughs> it's the ADHD. <laughs> it's the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and uh, it was really great to see them again. And they were so sweet. Um, just give them both a hug. You know, they're just like... They're the like cutest, sweetest people. Parents. I know.
1: You like want to adopt them as your parents. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're absolutely precious.
1: Well, that's exciting. I'm glad mm-hmm. you got to do that.
0: Yeah. And then, um, other than that, like, I- I've been working out at the gym. Did I tell Yay. you about this? Well, you Did told me listeners? you
1: joined the gym. I don't know if you've alerted our I, our peeps.
0: Yeah. So, alert people <laughs> if you see me out, I'll be looking cuter, Oh, slimmer fitter, Uh-oh. because I've been going to the gym.
1: Uh-oh, watch out. Summer's <laughs> coming, and so is
0: Caleb! <laughs> I've been Ooh. getting my summer body ready. You know, my beach body. Yeah. My bikini body. Mm. And, um... It's not coming along as fast as I, <laughs> I wanted to. <laughs> this three weeks hasn't right. transformed. You no, into a new I person. haven't dropped the thirty pounds that I want to um, in the three weeks that I've been going. So I'm really mad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel that. And
0: guess what? What? My body hurts.
1: You know what? If you're not eating and resting enough, everything you're doing in the gym isn't gonna come <sighs> into fruition in its full form.
0: I don't like that. I want it. I want it to work without me having to do that much effort. You know what I mean? Like, can I just go to the gym and then have all the benefits? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And to get 100% of the benefits.
1: Well, our girl Amanda would say no.
0: (laughs) Well, what does she know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: What the fuck does she know with their successful (laughs) company? I know. (laughs) That has transformed the lives of so many. Right.
0: I guess I could. It would behoove me Mm -hmm. to heed. Yeah. With the suggestions of um a professional a professional.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know.
0: Think it over. But honestly, what does anybody really know? What is a professional you know, anyway? exactly? <laughs> <laughs>
1: formal training and it, education wow
0: <laughs> I do my own research okay thank you there you go that's the important stuff
1: the stuff you do on your own I on Googled google it. okay
0: for 15 minutes and that is the same as the years of experience and research that you've done okay yeah, thank one you one minute Amanda. of
1: google is equivalent to one year of <laughs> yeah of <laughs> graduate education. work yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and
0: that's that on that yeah you're welcome everybody that was the other podcast episode for today
1: Wow, that was that was just really fun.
0: quick and over and done with. You know yeah, what I mean?
1: Cool. <laughs> Keep half passing your fitness journey, everybody. You've got this.
0: There you go. Yay. <laughs> Have a good day. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I am excited for today.
1: Me too. Why are you excited?
0: Just because I get to spend time with you.
1: Oh. Okay. Well, thanks. That was so
0: disappointing. You were something. You sounded so disappointed. I
1: thought there would be and something. I don't know. Unexpected.
0: No, I just want to know where you're at. I'm right here. Oh my god. God bless.
1: I am still living in my Steve Perry wonder. Yes,
0: you are. And I thought about you today. You and did. Yes. In yoga, um, the like the song that was on when I came in the yoga studio was a was a journey song, <gasps> and I was like, Steve Perry. Oh my god. That's my guy.
1: So I did some mushrooms last week. And one of my favorite things to do while I'm mushrooming is watch music videos or listen to music. Mm. And I seem to always go in like the 70s to 90s direction. It's like my comfort place. Yes. So I started watching um, some 70s and 80s like hair bands. And then I saw a music video. I think it was. What was it?
0: It Was it Oh Sherry?
1: No, it was. um, Now I can't remember it. And I've been singing it like. For days. So this is annoying. I'm gonna have to look it up. Just give me just do what, how does it you go? Guys, it literally left. I I don't know. Any way you want it, god damn it. Anyway you want it, that's the way you need yeah. it. Yeah, well, I was watching the music video and I was
0: like, I don't think I've ever seen that video. Steve
1: fucking Perry. This is so hot. Oh my god, he's <laughs> so hot. And it was like his hair perfection. Yeah, and it was like perfectly like bobby mulleted
0: mm-hmm. i think he's the only person in the history of the world who could pull off that haircut
1: it was golden yeah but also his hair is like dark black mm-hmm. oh my god and yeah. then like his nose my motor and his is going chin <laughs> on his eyes and I was just like yes I am here for this
0: all enhanced by the shrooms
1: yes (laughs) and it's like I've listened to Journey for decades I've seen Steve Perry there's really nothing exciting about him but for some reason it hit different
0: you had a transcendent experience I
1: did and I'm still (laughs) living there with Steve and like when he opens his mouth it looks so effortless and then this huge powerful voice comes out yeah so I just I don't know I'm enthralled And if you guys want to understand why, just Google some images of Steve Perry, but ignore him in his current state. We're gonna yeah. have to journey back about thirty years mm-hmm. to see him in his prime. At least, actually, 30. probably more like forty,
0: yeah, or fifty.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he's just so good looking. I know. So I just want everyone to come with me on my journey. Right.
0: And if you don't get it, then we're not going to be friends. Then fuck you. Right. Get out. And that's really all I have to say. That's that. Yeah. See, just stop listening now if that's you. Get out. Yeah. This podcast is not for you.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we love <clears throat> 70s and 80s here. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah. That's what I've been doing. That's where I'm at.
0: I, I'm so happy to hear that you're still on that. Like, you're still... Walking in that afterglow of your shrooming experience in relation to Steve Perry.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's what mushrooms are for, man. They're life-changing. They, <laughs> this has changed your life. It has changed the way I listen to Journey forever. Oh,
0: my God. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like if I could choose anybody to sing like, if I could like switch my voice with anybody, you know, kind of like Little Mermaid-esque style situation, like I'm Ursula, and he's ariel okay you know it's like steal his voice that would be the person i would do that really yeah even though he ruined like he like overexerted himself and ruined his vocal cords but i would still do it
1: okay you know well good for you Burn bright
0: even for a short time yeah only right? the good die young man exactly yeah. okay
1: all right anyway <laughs> enough of that tangent so we're joined with another guest today. Oh,
0: yay!
1: Thank goodness. Honestly. Because.
0: <laughs> it's just like of talking to just you. <laughs> okay,
1: I was going to say our episodes sometimes take a different direction.
0: Well, you know, sometimes we walk into the studio and we don't know what direction it's going to go. We don't. So it's just an adventure every time.
1: It is, but today it's it's a different kind of adventure. Yeah. Um, so in my little cyber-stalking adventures, the adventures of Sarah, mm-hmm. just write a novel about it. I come across really cool people, which is why I continue to stalk. I feel like I get rewarded. Mm-hmm. And one day in my little cyberstalkery, I came across something that I thought was really interesting called Black Earth Gardens. So I began stalking.
0: Deep diving. Deep
1: diving. I reached out. I didn't know who I was reaching out to, but I just messaged blindly.
0: Yeah, you shot your shot.
1: I shot my shot. I slid in the DMs. Yeah, you did. Nice. <laughs> love to slide yeah and i ended up with a pot of gold
0: <laughs> no it's a slip no, no. <laughs> for some reason that's where i'm drawing the line that's, out of all the shit we've ever of, said out of all the stuff i saw that's... logan's face he was like what <laughs> oh that made me so happy uh, <laughs> we have a guest in here I what know. are
1: you talking about this is like pretty pg this is for pretty us. tame for us yeah <laughs> this is how we act when we have company logan right. Duh. Right. with the classiest <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: anyway like i was saying
0: yeah
1: um <laughs> i came out with Mari. Mari hunt Wasink of Black Earth Gardens. Let's welcome her on down to
2: the stage. Come on out from stage left.
1: <laughs> Watch your step. <laughs> welcome, Mari, to Thank our
2: podcast. You. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's such an honor.
0: Oh my gosh, Mari. The honor is ours. Mm-hmm. The pleasure is ours. Yes,
2: absolutely. Welcome. So we
1: want to hear... All about Black Earth Gardens. Let's talk about who you are and why our community should know you and your business.
2: Yeah, so um, I grew up in Marion and still live in Cedar Rapids. I um, got my start in farming in 2020. I was going a totally different direction professionally and had quit my job to go to grad school. And, and apply for that. And then at the same time that I was quitting my job and applying for schools, the pandemic hit, of course. And um, as those kind of dreams got put on pause, I ended up just randomly volunteering for um, a farm down in Iowa City, trial and error farm, um, volunteering three hours a week in exchange for um, like a subscription vegetable box CSA. And originally I just kind of thought this will be kind of fun to learn more about gardening. I've always been interested in that as a hobby. And then um, I'll also save some money. And that was really all it was um, until I actually got out into the field and started doing it. And I realized, oh, my goodness, this is like amazing. It's my passion. And in particular, I realized that summer that my kind of lifelong and professional passion for um, increasing social justice in our community um, was not only compatible with my interest in gardening and farming, but it was actually – inextricably linked to that. And so after I realized that it was um, the rest is history. So um, I started um, Black Earth Gardens after apprenticing at a couple different farms um, in the area. And Black Earth Gardens is a small scale regenerative vegetable farm. I also do uh, some herbs and fruits and really specializes in um, sustainable agriculture techniques and growing foods that are Culturally important to the Black communities around here, but that are difficult to find, um, or to find in like the the quality that we would want, or the the form that that is helpful. And I also have a particular passion um, for my farm that would be um, a mechanism for justice in the community to make healthy, locally and sustainably grown food accessible to everyone in the community, no matter where you're coming from, from a financial standpoint, or what neighborhood you live in.
1: Wow.
0: I love that. What were you doing before? You said you quit your job.
2: Yeah, so I had graduated from co-college, um, double major in history and Spanish, and then I was working for several years at a at the Catherine McCauley Center. Oh, um, yeah. And they're, them. Yeah, yeah, they're a great organization. Um, so I was teaching English as a second language and also... Mm. Um, I developed for them a citizenship curriculum to help Mm -hmm. adults who are interested in becoming U.S. citizens to prepare for the test. But Mm -hmm. then not only just kind of uh, learn the test, but also learn the skills and knowledge that they need in order to be informed and engaged U.S. citizens after Mm -hmm. passing the test. So like demystifying Mm -hmm. the voting process and teaching about history um, that people need to know about, like how the society runs, including like the history of racism in the U.S. and mm-hmm. things like that. So that's what I was doing, and then it's been really crazy because even though I'm not in farming, in farming, I'm it at face value seems like totally different from what I was doing at Catherine McCauley Center. There's so much overlap um, in the skills that I've learned and just kind of the overall approach to um, advocacy work, and I've actually this last year got to grow a bunch of food for their food pantry, which was super fun mm, to see that come so, full yeah. circle. Cool. Yeah. 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 that is
1: really cool. Yeah. I think kind of um, piggybacking off of what you said at first glance, um, farming and I would think, you know, your job at the Catherine McCauley center seemed to have nothing in common, but as you look at all of the systems of our community and how we function in the world, there's so much intersectionality between everything you can find similarities, Mm, especially to tie it into social justice, um, with everything around. So that seems like a really natural progression.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a process, like I said, especially summer of 2020, but even since then to kind of realize more and more just how deep Um, the rabbit hole goes in, in a Mm -hmm. sense. And, um, I became inspired by, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, who I had known about before, but I didn't know that she was involved in farming at all. But she actually in the 1960s started a Freedom Farm Cooperative down in Mississippi, um, that focused on helping her community of, um, Her black community and people who are in poverty in that county to gain um, control over their food because starvation was actually like a well-known and well-used tactic of um, racial violence in that Mm -hmm. um, area and across the country. And so she realized that, like, we can't have a civil rights movement if we're not addressing, like, making sure that people have control over the food that they're growing and it's not in the hands of people who can wield it against them. So, um, Mm -hmm. she has been a big inspiration of mine to kind of the work that I do and the ways in which food is still being used, um, to, you know, keep people down and how can we use it instead as a tool for lifting people up?
1: Mm -hmm. I think something that comes to mind in a way that everyone who is not involved in farming or particularly social justice work can understand is when you look around your own neighborhood or within a five mile radius of your home, think of what stores are near you uh, based on your neighborhood. And you'll kind of see how food access changes based upon the wealth of a neighborhood essentially. Um, So even though we all have access to food, the quality of food, depends on where you live um it depends on the taxes being paid by your neighbors and i think that's kind of that was my first opening or the path that i saw um to make the link between like social justice and food equality basically
2: yeah that's absolutely right yeah i um one term that's used to describe that that i often hear is like food desert but mm-hmm. Um, One of my um, other heroes, Karen Washington, who's a farmer and elder out in the upstate New York area, she coined the term food apartheid, which I think is Mm. a lot better of a term to describe it because a food desert, for one, deserts are like ecosystems that actually do have a lot of food inherent to them and like people who are indigenous to desert environments like, um, you know, know about all of the food sources and thrive off of that. So that's kind of a misnomer, but also a desert is like a natural phenomenon Mm -hmm. and the way that we've structured our societies to restrict people's access to healthy foods is not natural it's Mm -hmm. something that we've actually as a society yeah constructed in order Mm to to um oppress people and so um yeah but that's that's definitely present like i'm thinking about like my own neighborhood wellington heights and mound view like we are lucky to have a, a grocery store in our neighborhood, but the first Avenue hy V like the selection is way lower. Mm-hmm. The prices are way higher yep. than any other hy V that you go to. And it's just, and oftentimes this, the quality is not there. It's like yep. old stuff, it's mm-hmm. bad stuff. And so like, if you have the privilege of having access to transportation, you can go have more options and cheaper prices in, mm-hmm. um, more affluent neighborhood versus the kind of the captive audience that they're feeding off of. So yeah, it's definitely a problem here in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, that was like the
0: first thing that came to mind when you started, when we had our first initial conversation about food and social justice was that first Avenue Mm Hy-Vee and how I know the prices are higher, how the access feels different when you walk in there. Um,
1: Well, and Hy-Vee has redone all of its stores in the past like five years except for that one. Why?
0: Right. Mm um what since you've gotten into the farming um industry what has that looked like for you then to deepen your understanding of the connection between food and social justice like what was that like initial discovery like for you
2: that's a great question um a big part of it for me just because it's the way i learn is through like reading and through mm-hmm. um studying the history of it um like i said i was a history major and the way my mind works is I want to understand the context of things in order to be able to understand like where we are now. And so I did a lot of reading and um, kind of studying under um, the, I guess, thoughts of like Fannie Lou Hamer, George Washington Carver, um, and a lot of other folks. And um, then some kind of present day farmers like Leah Penniman, who runs Soulfire Farm out in New York. She also created her farm as like a tool for social justice in, um, upstate New York and has done a lot of kind of creative, uh, strategies to try to make food more accessible and more equitable. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of learned about that through, um, through reading and then also my own family genealogy. So my family has been farming in the United States since, 1700s but um during the great migration part of what that meant for my family was that we had to leave farming behind and so we had been denied you know through slavery through sharecropping um the kind of generational wealth uh that farming so often brings to to farming families but Mm -hmm. then we even lost the knowledge when we um immigrated to the north and so Um, Just kind of learning about my own family history and Mm -hmm. how can I reclaim farming um, in a way that is positive for for my family and for the community.
0: Totally.
1: I was going to ask because we kind of talked about how, although you're not a first generation farmer, you're kind of rebirthing farming in your own generation of your family. And how in Iowa, farming is huge. I mean, everywhere we go, we see farms. But you're unique because you're a female and you're black. And you are essentially a first-generation farmer. You're not inheriting land. You are not inheriting much knowledge. You're having to create all of that for yourself. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about like why that is special and unique?
2: Yeah, it is it is special and unique, Um and I think about this a lot. So I'm, in addition to running my own farm, I'm a land advocacy fellow for the National Young Farmers Coalition. So I'm doing uh, work talking to legislators on um, in Washington, D.C. about how we can make this upcoming farm bill that they're working on more equitable, especially as we think about um envisioning what the next generation of farming and, um, farmers and farming in the U S is going to look like, um, in the next 10 or 20 years, 40% of all farmland is going to change hands in the United States. So we're like at a very critical point of being able to redefine what does farming look like. And so how can we put in place the policies now to be able to, um, make that warm handoff, um, that's in a way that, brings more equity rather than um, preserving the status quo. And so, yeah, I think about land access a lot. um, And I do want to say that whenever we're thinking about land and how to make more equality around land, we have to acknowledge that all land in the U.S. is stolen, right, from indigenous folks. And all of these conversations have to include um, an acknowledgement of both the historic and ongoing relationship that indigenous people have with the land Mm -hmm. um and when we think about making land more accessible to BIPOC farmers that includes like land back movements um Mm -hmm. for indigenous peoples and things like that um but 65 percent of like of BIPOC farmers um who are young say that land access is a top challenge and that's definitely been true for me um I would not be able to have the farm that I have right now if it weren't for an incubator farm program run by Feed Iowa First. Um, They have a program called the Equitable Land Access Program that um, empowers new and landless farmers to be able to um, grow their farm businesses. So it provides like plots of land and stipends and stuff um, for seeds and other things like that. So that's been really important for me. But then thinking about how do I kind of build this from scratch where I don't I'm not going to be able to inherit land. So I have to figure out how am I going to have enough equity to be able to move off of that incubator farm onto a permanent spot and actually make a go of it um, in the long term. Mm-hmm.
0: In an ideal world, what does that look like then for you?
2: Um, I would love I'm very interested in like permaculture and agroforestry um, and kind of investing in not just things that you can plant and harvest in the same year, but that are going to go on for generations to yeah. come. And also um, I'm really passionate about restoring native prairie habitats, mm. but that's something that's a multi-year process, right? So sure. I would love land access that's permanent enough that I could really invest in some of those um, long-term visions that I have for how to restore and regenerate the land. And um, yeah, but right now um, my land tenure is just three years. So figuring out how to, how to get land so that I can a place where I'm going to be there for, you know, 10, Mm. years.
0: I think one of the challenges that I've heard a lot, just having lived in Iowa and having a very limited experience of agriculture in my life growing up in new mexico it is a desert but you know we have food (laughs) um Mm -hmm. uh is this idea that um agriculture has become a very uh short-sighted almost short um what am i what's the word i'm looking for um
2: yeah nearsighted nearsighted
0: yeah in its um in its scope and it's just kind of like using up the land um and it feels um like we're not treating the soil very well we're not treating the um the habitats very well um and it's refreshing to you know i guess think about more long-term sustainable regrowth practices yeah. um is there is there a movement is there like a um i don't know a network of of farmers of of people doing this work um in the u.s because i haven't really heard much about that
2: yeah, there definitely is. And there's actually, I was surprised when I got into farming um, here that there's a very strong and tight-knit group of um, farmers who are thinking more sustainably yeah. here in eastern Iowa, which is amazing That's um, great. to get plugged into. But um, it's definitely still in the minority when you think of like traditional kind of corn and soy row crops. Mm-hmm. And I think you're exactly right that it agriculture has become like, extractive Mm -hmm. where you're thinking about like, how can I in the near term, like you were saying, get the most I can from the land, like take as much as possible.
0: Extractive feels like a good word. Mm hmm.
2: Yeah. And so then you have kind of sustainable agriculture, which says instead of depleting the land over time, let's kind of put in as much as we're taking out. And then regenerative is even a step beyond that, which says like, let's put in more than we're actually taking out so that overall we can have a net, positive impact Mm. and I think that's so important especially as we think about um, the climate crisis that we're in Mm -hmm. because um, 25% of global greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture Oh wow, which is Mm. huge huge percent of yeah a quarter and so we have as farmers we have a huge responsibility and also a huge opportunity to Mm. really make a big difference on the amount of um, this kind of acceleration of climate change by really going back to how do we have a more um holistic long-term indigenous view of the land that Mm -hmm. that relates to it in proper ways
0: what it made me think of when you were talking about the regenerative regenerative aspect of it too was this idea that human beings aren't the only people who live on earth you know that there's you know insects and wildlife that also need um all these they need nature right mm-hmm. to to live they need um, these little um, they need their habitats they need their habitats yeah, yeah. and i feel like what i what i know what i notice and what i've read and what i've seen and heard um, is that we're just kind of taking over everything and not we're, we're not giving any space to you know the creatures you know mm-hmm. that's why i feel like the the issue with the bees um, not having enough habitat to survive or um, butterflies i mean these you know pollinators that we rely on um, yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking, and It feels yeah. like that's, you know, it seems obvious that that's what we need. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: it's a real change in mentality, I think, for farmers just on a practical level because so often we're taught, like, to try to minimize as much, like, life as possible because it could be, like, pests right. for our mm-hmm. crops and it could impact our bottom line. But instead thinking that, like, changing the thinking to, I want a thriving ecosystem around me and that if the ecosystem is thriving, then I will find an appropriate niche in there Mm -hmm. from which I can also make a living, you know, and sometimes that means tolerating pests Mm -hmm. um, to a certain degree because you know that that's going to feed other animals that are going to be beneficial for Mm -hmm. you and just kind of changing your mentality to like working with nature instead of
0: against it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that.
1: Can you give us an example of regenerative farming? Because you said putting more in than we're taking out. So what is like a real world example for people to
2: understand what that is? That's a great question. Um, There's an organic farming technique called cover cropping, which is where you plant something um, in the soil that you're not intending to harvest but that's going to provide a benefit for the land. So um, there's a whole host of benefits that you might be looking for, but you might plant like a really common one is like oats and peas. So you'd plant oats and peas and you actually don't wanna harvest the oats or the peas because you want all of those nutrients to go back into the soil. And um, in that case, it's going to increase the soil's organic matter, which is really crucial for soil health and biodiversity of the soil. And then it also, legumes fix nitrogen, which means they take nitrogen out of the air and they put it into the soil, which is v- unique to that plant family. It's the only one that does that. And so it it is a net positive for the soil in the sense that it's going to take nutrients that other plants need and put it back into the soil um, so that the next plant can, can um, use it. And so that's one technique where you're kind of setting aside a piece of land that you could plant to something that you're going to harvest and sell, but instead you say, no, I'm going to take a break and plant something that's going to improve the soil. Um, So that's kind of one example of how you might think regeneratively about um, improving soil health. And um, cover crops also improve water quality because they act as like filters for nutrients and stuff before they go into waterways and things like that. So that's one example cool
1: you also mentioned that you grow things that are unique to black culture what inspired that
2: yeah I got inspired because just practically I was having trouble finding ingredients that are important for my own family recipes in the area so for me it was specifically collard greens and okra I couldn't find collard greens anywhere (laughs) and finally found them at New Pie but um, if I did find them like at Walmart or something they'd just have tons of holes in them and not look very good and um, okra I couldn't find fresh okra I could only find frozen and pre-chopped which Mm -hmm. is okay for something like gumbo but for some of the recipes I needed like whole fresh okra and I couldn't find it anywhere even at the farmer's market I couldn't find it and so I realized that if I'm having that problem, other people probably are too. And when I started asking around, and especially last year when I actually started selling at the farmer's market and distributing into the community, people were like, oh my goodness, you can't find this anywhere. And um, realizing that, yes, this is a problem that other people are having too.
0: It feels like it's a part of the system to like uh, repress the culture right that like access to these things feels so um like it's a challenge to get to because like it's a challenge to have um how do i phrase the question that i want to ask um how do you think we got there i guess at that at this point because look we're in what late stage capitalism right and this food was you know very accessible um To black culture and to black communities for a long time, and now it feels like it's even harder, Mm -hmm. less accessible. How do and is it on purpose? Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I definitely think it is. I think it's it's so hard. If you're not accessing the foods that you care about and that you want to eat, how are you supposed to be eating? in healthy ways you know if you don't have access to the things that you think are taste good and are meaningful to you and it definitely like I think it goes all the way back to slavery where people a lot of the like for example okra got to the United States what is now the United States because um, African women braided the seeds into their hair before they went on the middle passage and so that was kind of like the first Um, one of the first expressions of food sovereignty of like taking control of this is important to me and I don't know where I'm going but this is something that is so important to me that I want to make sure I can take it with me and I think there are ways to that we can express that now of giving consumers more choice about what they're they're eating Mm -hmm. and what's accessible to them, accessible in terms of like Transportation. Where can they physically get these things? But also accessible in terms of affordability. What, um, what are they able to access? So,
1: mm-hmm. you use the term food sovereignty. What does that mean?
2: Food sovereignty is the idea um, that people should have control and power over the food that they consume, both the type of food, um, the quality that they can have voice and choice in mm. um, in what they're consuming and so that was you know what Family Loom Hamer was talking about having control over the food source um, so that no one can hold it um, over your head but then it's, it's also what I've been trying to do through Black Earth Gardens I had the privilege of participating in a senior living market last year so We went around um, to a couple of different senior living facilities, uh, three different farmers, and we kind of did like pop up farmers markets for like an hour or two Mm. a week. And um, folks who don't have, um, don't drive anymore or have mobility concerns um, were able to come and spend their money and do their grocery shopping for the week um, through us. And it was amazing to see like, just what it can mean to someone to find the kind of food that they want to eat. You know, the whole reason I got invited was because, um, when they, they had uh, one vegetable farmer and one honey farmer and the other vegetable farmer wasn't growing any cantaloupe and everyone they kind of had a little riot <laughs> they were like we need cantaloupe. And so I was growing cantaloupe. So they were like, come bring whatever you, whatever else you want, but especially cantaloupe. And so, just the fact that that could happen, right? That they could mm-hmm. say like, actually we value this thing and then they could have that exchange with the farmer and that could be brought to them. Mm-hmm. Like that, to me, that's boots on the ground, like grassroots activism where you can, the consumer actually gets more choice because of that more intimate relationship with the producer. Right, hmm wow.
1: That's something I think I definitely take for granted. Um, that I do have a lot of choice in what I'm eating and I have the privilege to transport myself somewhere else to find what I want to eat. If it's not within a mile or two of my own home.
0: Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was thinking about was th- this concept and it feels like, you know, not a profound, well, it is profound, but, um, to me that thinking about this idea of the con- connection between food and, like, inheritance and heritage and culture and legacy and, like, how that defines, you know, our, our connection to, you know, our, our families and our family's past and the, where we come from, you know, and the context, the history, right? Um, and, you know, one of the first things I think about when I th- think about my own family is my, the food that I grew up with, you know, the food that my mom cooked. And, um, it, you know, there are some things that were very specific to where I grew up. In New Mexico, you know, right. hatch green chili peppers are like a very big thing for me. You know, whenever I see them, it gives me joy. It makes me feel like, you know, connected to my childhood and to who I am, you know, into um, the place that I grew up. So I I love, I love food so much. You know, I'm in the food service industry, um, but I love that, you know, having access um, to the food that to, that connects me to me, that connects me to my family. Um, Is something that I can enjoy, you know, relatively easily. Um, And I think it's such important work that you're doing, bringing that to Iowa, focusing on that as as your life's work. Um, I think I remember talking in in our initial conversation, like what Black Earth Gardens is all about. And you said three different things. You said food sovereignty was one. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the other two.
2: Yeah, food sovereignty, um, food justice, Mm -hmm. and... Um, food access, which I think is connected really closely with food sovereignty, but that idea of like both what you want to eat, but also that it be accessible to everyone, you know, that food is a human right and everyone should have access Mm. to it um, no matter what. And so, yeah, those, those three things. And then the regenerative agriculture piece is what I talked about. Um, Just that, that we're, that we can be a force for good in terms of our relationship with the earth. Not, um, we don't have to be extractive when we're producing food. Yeah,
1: yeah. We also talked about how vegetable farmers don't have as much incentive uh, to farm as right um, farmers who grow maybe soybeans. Mm-hmm. Can you explain
2: to us why? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, starting in the Great Depression, the U.S. government started to subsidize certain commodity crops um, to make them, uh, make it more possible for farmers to make a living growing them. And so those were corn, soy, and wheat, um, maybe a couple of other ones. But those are the big ones. And of course, in Iowa, corn and soy are the main ones that we are familiar with. But um, that was great in the sense that it, it made it possible for people to grow those things but it also then because those were the ones they picked it meant that everything else was left out and so um the truth is it is difficult to make a living producing food especially because in this country we have artificially um deflated food prices um and so people the consumer expects food to cost a lot less than it actually takes to produce it um and part of that has to do with um using exploitative labor practices like um, exploiting migrant labor in California to be able to bring the consumer um, a product at a, a much lower price point than what they would charge if they had to pay people fairly. Um, but that creates a situation where people who are trying to pay themselves and pay their workers fairly um, and do it in a sustainable way have have a hard time making a living, especially if it's not in corn and soy and wheat. And so, yeah, it's a it's a systemic issue in our country to figure out, like, do we actually value food production um, of, like, vegetables, eggs, that kind of thing, um, dairy? Or do we do we want to keep, you know, subsidizing corn, which mostly goes to ethanol production and feeding livestock? So...
0: Yeah, I feel like that opens the door wide open to a whole bunch of you know like financial, economic, you know issues. Like the fact that like if food was, you know, appropriately priced for labor and all that, um, then it would be hard for the everyday person to afford it because the minimum wage is still so shitty, yes. and the cost of living is so high that like if you start increasing the food prices to actually reflect how much it costs to produce it then that would blow the doors wide open on like actually we're not getting paid enough to live here. That's right. Right?
2: Yeah, that's th- something I think about all the time because when I first before I became a farmer, when I would whenever I'd go to the farmers market, I would look at the prices and I would think, "Oh my gosh, that's outrageous mm. what they're charging." Now as a farmer I realize that's actually the correct price mm. for what it costs to produce something in a fair and sustainable way. But because we've been conditioned and also because of this messed up economic system where um you end up with with a situation where farmers markets become very elitist and mm. that is so like against everything that I like believe in. Right. That it would be like the only rich people would be able to benefit from and support sustainable farmers. is just like such a crazy idea. So, um, but that's the system that we live in. And so I'm constantly thinking about how can I like, how can I try to go against the flow and mm-hmm. not only market my products to people who, you know, are upper class or upper, upper middle class. Right. So yeah, but it's challenging. For sure. What are ways you've found to do that? Um, that's a great question. I use, uh, so I, I'm starting a CSA this year, and CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And it's basically um, a model that a lot of smaller scale farms use where uh, people buy into their, um, a specific farm and they pay at the beginning um, of the season when farmers have to spend most of their money because at the beginning of the season we don't have anything to sell but we have to make all of our food and equipment purchases um, and so it can be a little bit difficult to cash flow in that way and so um, we basically like ask um, families to chip in at the beginning of the year with the promise that we'll give them like weekly subscription food boxes of the best that our season has to offer throughout the, the mm-hmm. summer and so yeah, so that's what a CSA is, and so I'm doing a CSA for the first time this year. Um, but I'm I realize that not everyone can do that, not everyone can pay, you know, four hundred dollars upfront in order to with the promise of of um, getting that money and more um, throughout the course of the season. So one thing that I'm doing is offering um, kind of a slight, a little bit of a sliding scale, and that's something that other producers around here um, do as mm-hmm. well. Um, So people can kind of opt to pay less if they need that. But also I'm offering payment plans. So people who can pay at the beginning, that really helps me. But then um, people who can't, I make an agreement with them that they can pay, you know, throughout the. the, Monthly or whatever. Yeah, monthly or weekly or however they need to do it. And then um, I also accept like um, SNAP and Double Up and Mm -hmm. Farmer's Market Nutrition Checks and all of those benefits. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things I do.
0: I really appreciate it because I got my CSA through a collective yeah. last year and, uh, loved them yes. and they were so sweet to me because I told them like initially up front, like that's a lot of money for me to just like drop because I have a mortgage and I like basically live yeah. paycheck With to paycheck. the promise of vegetables you know? at some point, absolutely. not today. Um, but they were so helpful to me that they were like, yeah, absolutely. Pay us what you can now and then we'll get the rest, you know, whenever you have the chance to pay us you know and they were just so loving and like yeah pay us when you can you know but we're still gonna give you your food yeah and it was just so like it made me feel so taken care of and supported even though i was you know supporting them like it just felt like this really good relationship yes that i was like it's building community yeah i felt really like it was heartwarming to me yeah
2: no eclective is great some of i've been to some of their like sessions that they'll present at farmers conferences and stuff about how to do sliding skills because I think they're a leader in how to set that up well but Mm -hmm. um and payment plans but I think that's one of the beauties of the CSA model and also of just kind of local farming in general that if Mm -hmm. you can have that relationship with the farmer yeah then all of a sudden you don't need to like follow this rigid bureaucracy. You can just figure right. it out together because mm-hmm. it's a community and you know each other. Right. And, yeah. It's a relationship. Yeah, exactly. It's that connection
0: mm-hmm. yeah, for sure.
1: Seems like that's kind of going back to the roots of like what farming was right. at some point in America's history. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. Just a, a sense of community building, a mm-hmm. relationship, not like a capitalistic commodity mm-hmm. that we have. Totally. Yeah. I've been thinking about how I love that you take Snap. And I was thinking, I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about the farmers markets here in Cedar Rapids and how they, it is an elitist experience. They're expensive AF Mm -hmm. to go to the farmers market for the day. Yeah. If I'm down there with the kids, like I'm spending $50 on literal bullshit. I'm not taking vegetables home. I'm buying like (laughs) fucking snacks that they're not even going to eat. And I'm like, this seems really expensive for like, a sandwich. I think it
0: does feel really silly to call it a farmer's market in Cedar Rapids when there's not very many farmers. No. You know what I mean? That's like, what's actually, it's like an arts and crafts fair. It's like a
1: vendor fair. <laughs> yeah, it
0: is. It's really not a farmer's market.
1: No, so but. Stop calling it that. Well, <laughs> there are, yeah, and it's expensive. I mean, yeah. it's not accessible. Right. It's you have to drive to the farmers market for mm-hmm. I mean me I live all the way on the other side of town and then I have to find parking. Luckily, uh, we don't pay for parking on the weekends, but then I have to be ready to spend hella money down there to get right. what I want, and oftentimes I get a lot less at the farmer's market than I would at even hy V, which is also pretty expensive mm-hmm. um, for a lot of the things. And I love supporting local and I'll yeah. do it gladly. It is community building. It sure. is. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to do it, but I notice and yeah. I'm like, this is, this is not a sustainable thing. I cannot come down here every other week and spend, have my kids be suckered into all the weird shit down yeah. here. Um, and then come home with crap and then like two vegetables. Mm. Which that's my family's own personal problem a little bit too, <laughs> that's a, but it's a bank leave problem. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, like, wouldn't it be great if we, as a society, decided to move more towards like a community building or bartering system of living and caring for one another and mm-hmm. exchanging services and things instead of money? Which I know we all need money to live, but in my yeah. world, I'm just like, ugh. We need to do better.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Capitalism like comes at the cost of community care. And Mm. I just. Yeah. Thinking about how I wish everyone could eat fresh fruits and vegetables because they taste so much better. They taste so much different. Cooking with fresh ingredients is just like the best thing on the planet and how it just is not feasible for everyone. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm. I want to know what has been the biggest joy for you since you started Black Earth Gardens?
2: Oh, man, there's so many things. Um, Part of it is my passion for all the issues that we've been talking about, but part of why I got into it is just because I love the nitty-gritty of farming. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I think for me, a big part of the joy is being outside
0: getting your hands dirty yeah getting my hands
2: dirty you know dirt on my under my fingernails it's just really good for my physical health It keeps me active it's really good for my mental health Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just like feel every time I'm out there it just feels like this is what I was made
0: to do yeah you know I remember doing some gardening in 2020 and I felt like doing just a little bit of farming that I did, you know, it felt like a spiritual experience. It is. It really did. It is a spiritual experience. Yeah. To feel that connection with
2: the land and with all of the creatures around you. Mm -hmm. And
0: yeah. Yeah. What has been the hardest thing?
2: Hmm. I think the hardest thing for me has been, um, there's farming can be so all consuming Mm. and that's part of what makes it beautiful. Like we were just talking about to be out there and and just consumed by the, um, being outside and, um, the connection. But it also, um, I think there's a culture around farming of just like constantly doing and, and going. And so I've been trying to figure out how do I make, Um, space for rest Mm. in the midst of like really busy time where there's always something that I could be weeding or watering or harvesting to figure out how do I also honor my own need for like pause and rest and sleep and Mm. all of that. Yeah.
1: The things you need to be able to farm at 100%.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Because I I don't want to I love this work and I don't want to burn out and mm-hmm. I, I'm i not someone who can just go, go, go and not take a break and mm-hmm. so I need to figure out how to continue to make space for myself to, to rest and... Make
0: it a sustainable lifestyle.
2: Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And that goes back to the whole... Su- not just sustainability for the earth but also for me, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, so... But I don't have a lot of good models for that right now, um, mm. especially in farming. Um, so... I'm on the lookout for practical ways to to do that.
0: I think this is something that brings me back to one of the conversations we had with Mimi. Um, Daoud, uh was this idea of you know creating and taking space for ourselves, mm-hmm. and I think especially within um, you know environments or um, spaces that have a lot to do with social justice and you know um, battling oppression and creating you know um, safe and you know regenerative practices for other people right um is that you can get burnt out really quick yeah because you're constantly giving you're trying to build and you're trying to fight injustice and all these different things and it's it feels like a a constant onslaught yeah but how do you how do you take care of yourself when you're also trying to take care of everybody else? Right.
2: Mm. And it feels, it always feels urgent, right? Because it mm-hmm. is urgent. Yeah. But then how do you recognize that this is actually going to be, you know, a lifelong endeavor. Mm-hmm. So I have to pace myself.
0: Yeah. And it's yeah. not just for your lifetime too. You know, yeah. like I feel like it's a, it's a constant work to create and create a balance, right. To create justice mm-hmm. and to maintain that. Right. Um, That is, I mean, and I think it's a, it's a practice that we have to, you know, fight capitalism all the time. You know, it's that like it's a part of something, it's instilled in us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but to learn how to rest feels like um, resistance, right? Yes. Rest I, uh, is resistance. Yeah, is that was the book that I read last year, two years ago. I loved it. Yeah. I forgot the name of the Is it author. Trisha? Yeah. Yes.
2: Hersey? Something yes like mm-hmm. yes yeah
0: that's it's so important
2: yeah i have just kind of begun to learn from her and i really love her work and the idea of her like thinking about rest as being anti-capitalist yes. and and that we're taught that like your worth is how much you can produce mm-hmm. and that actually my worth is just me yeah mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and so i don't owe it to anyone to do anything and that's just her yeah it's
0: not
1: dependent upon anything you've done or Mm -hmm. have not done you're just worthy and that's it there's your
0: model right there yes Yep.
1: i was just thinking of um as you were talking like how we could all kind of re-envision social justice as a regenerative practice and like how can we plant seeds that we might not um sow Mm -hmm. my little farming metaphor we
0: love plant metaphors yeah we do (laughs)
1: um but how can we be mindful about like planting things now that maybe in a couple generations uh they might decide to do something with Mm -hmm. or how can we like how can we implement things now um just to be there. And I guess not always like they don't have to be like active or bold practices, but like some of the quieter, Mm -hmm. more background practices of activism or social justice.
0: Yeah,
1: And because I think we all get caught up with doing a lot, um, feeling recognized maybe in our achievements or having things noticed or being able to, look and say yes this was my direct action and this was the direct result but i feel like it's more nuanced and we're still like realizing the dreams of ancestors long ago Mm -hmm. and so like what are mindful ways of us to be more regenerative with our activism Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that's not something we need to answer at this very moment but just like a thought for us to ponder
2: i think that's the right question though yeah Mm-hmm. yeah planting those seeds that you're not gonna you're not gonna see yeah bloom in your lifetime but but trusting that it's still worth doing yeah mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. um if you had like your soapbox what is like the one issue that you want people to know about that you want people to start growing their awareness about
2: I'm really passionate about um, that idea that I talked about before um, about food apartheid versus food deserts Um, because I, I just think it's a huge problem in every community, including in ours. And I just honestly believe that we can't start working toward more equity and um, implementing solutions until we're honest about the problem. Sure. That we have to stop thinking that it's some kind of thing that just happened it's something that we created as a society as a tool of oppression and if once we can recognize that and repent from that then we can start moving forward and improving um and bringing more justice so yeah that's that's a really big issue for me ever since i learned about the term food apartheid from karen washington just really has it informed a lot of how i think about um How my own small piece of this work um, through Black Earth Gardens can be a part of the of the solution.
1: Mm. How do people like Caleb and I who aren't farmers be a part of that solution too? Yeah.
0: Um
2: well, first I think everyone like I'm just one person, like normal everyday person, and I'm just taking the thing that I'm passionate about and that's important, and and just doing my own little piece. And I think everyone has that thing that um, is their one piece to contribute to greater equity in our in our community in our neighborhoods. And I think as long as someone's doing that, that's great. Um, some specific things I um, can think of is to support um, local foods. So doing a CSA, like you said, you were doing Caleb and. Um, buying local foods and especially seeking out those ones that where you believe in the sustainable practices that they're using and where they're creating systems of equity within their structures of their organization. Um, And then another thing is if you're so inclined to grow your own food, I think that's a great um, way of just kind of saying no to the whole system of like consumerism and and extractive Mm. Um, and also gives you a lot of, like, the ultimate amount of choice in how, how your food is grown, right, because right? you're doing it mm-hmm. um, and what seeds you're buying and everything. Um, but I also think just it's useful for people to be more aware of these issues and um, to be engaged with specifically their legislators around the policies that are going to um, either further food access in our communities or be a detriment Um, as well as equity around how farmland is distributed. So getting involved with just being aware of what's going on and then engaging with um, your legislators about these issues.
0: Wow. Cool. Thank you.
1: Is there anything else that's super important to
2: you that you want to discuss? I don't think so. I think we've mostly covered everything that I wanted to... Share with your listeners.
1: Cool, awesome. Well, now we have a game to play because Ooh. we can't leave here oh, without yeah. you without making you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fun game. Don't, <laughs> don't <laughs> worry. Like, um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the game without a name.
0: It's a word association game. It's a word association game.
1: Yay. So I'm going to say a word and I want you to respond with the first thing that comes to mind. It does not need to be a long, thoughtful, uh, well spoken answer. It works best if it's short and sweet and to the point.
2: Okay. You can leave us
1: wanting more Mm -hmm. with your answer if
2: need be. Okay.
1: Okay. (laughs) Might get spicy okay okay ready (laughs) ready (laughs) you're gonna do great abortion
2: uh access
1: feminism
2: womanism Mm. monogamy polygamy dating uh date
1: (laughs) (laughs) black lives matter
2: george floyd queer uh gay marriage divorce
1: parenting flower okay why flower <laughs> that one i i need we'll to get know we'll get through the more. game first. okay <laughs> we'll, we'll revisit um polygamy just kidding polyamory i can't read my own handwriting polyamory
2: oh uh lgbtq
1: republicans
2: democrats
1: nepotism nephew Democrats. Liberals. Barbie.
2: Ooh, Ken.
1: Psychedelics.
2: Mushrooms.
1: Politics.
2: Activism.
1: Blue Lives Matter.
2: Pickup trucks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cannabis. Marijuana. Religion. Theology. Patriarchy
2: matriarchy therapy counseling
1: plastic surgery
2: uh needles fitness yoga
1: and do you have a sex playlist
2: i don't know what that means <laughs>
1: <laughs> a specific playlist that you listen to when you have sex
2: no Maybe I need to get one. <laughs>
0: See, now I don't feel so alone. Great. Thank you. Okay,
1: well, <laughs> <laughs> I am building us a collective sex playlist for our listeners to follow mm. on oh, wow. Spotify.
0: Which is not creepy at all. No. Totally not. not
1: creepy for you to think of all the guests we've ever had on our show while you're <laughs> having sex with to partner. Or think about
0: Sarah and I while you're having sex. Yeah, whoever not you want to think all. about. In fact, I recommend that.
1: Yes, we will enhance your experience if you think of one of us during sex.
0: It's like the weirdest audio orgy <laughs> that you can imagine. Yes. An audio orgy. <laughs> that's that's the name of my band in high school. Oh, that's wow. adorable.
1: That is special. well your homework Mari is to come up with a song that you would listen to during sex and report back so we can add it
2: oh wow so you have like one song from each guest Mm -hmm. yeah
1: that's that's my goal for us
2: it's a fun idea
1: it Mm -hmm. is so you could like hit all of these different vibes during one (laughs) sex act
0: as long as your sex act, you know, takes longer than 2 minutes. Yeah,
1: get get yourself a partner that can go the distance.
0: <laughs> no judgment though. No hate. Right. No, no cookies are hating. great.
1: Foreplay helps.
0: Yeah. Just
1: just a word to the wise out there. You don't need to rush it. <laughs> anyway, Moving I feel on.
0: like now my addition to that playlist is going to be that song from Hercules. I Can Go, go the, the distance. distance by Michael Bolton. <laughs> yes. Michael Bolton's sexy. Yeah, He's that wouldn't be
1: the song I'd pick. <laughs> but I do like him.
0: I Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my contribution to the playlist.
1: Okay. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> I want to thank our guest, Mari, from Black Earth Gardens for being here today.
0: Mari, we love you. We do love
1: you. We learned a lot. How can we find you? How can we be a part of your CSA? How can we follow the farm?
2: Yeah, I, my CSA is accepting um, members right now. So you can follow me on Facebook at Black Earth Gardens. And um, you can also email me at gardens at gmail.com.
1: Cool. Do you have an Instagram?
2: Not yet, but okay. it will be coming soon.
0: Forthcoming.
1: forthcoming. be on the lookout. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, go support your local farm and CSA this summer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in the meantime, support us. Follow us. Rate us. Review us. Make Sarah so happy.
1: Help us fuck that algorithm right up.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Until next time, we love you.
0: Keep it classy.
1: Or not. Or not.
0: Bye. It's spicy yeah yeah <laughs>